Turn over into the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, and we're going to continue on this morning the New Testament in His blood. And we're looking just this morning at the ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 15. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 15. Let's just pray. Father, this morning we just ask for Your help and for Your anointing. Lord, above everything that the Holy Ghost would be a witness to these things that we will preach this morning to glorify your name. Would you stir our hearts? Would you speak to us? Lord, we believe you're leading and guiding, directing this whole meeting this morning from every song that has been sang and every prayer that has been prayed. And even as we've gathered around this table this morning, Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit is the great coordinator of our gathering. And we pray again that Jesus would be lifted very high, that he would be magnified and exalted in this house. And Lord, you would do a work afresh in our hearts for your glory and your praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, For after that he said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember. Would you say no more? Praise the Lord. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the field, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." If you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, and as you're turning there, I'll quote a verse that is very well known, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, but John, uh, John the Apostle, John the Baptizer, in John chapter 1 and verse 29, it is recorded, as Jesus walked towards him on that day, he cried with a loud voice and pointed all the people to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 says these words, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. John the Apostle, the Revelator, speaks much of Christ in the book of Revelation as the Lamb of God. Remember above everything else in this wonderful book, the book of Revelation. We'll turn there just in a moment, Revelation chapter 5. But this is a great book. It's a book that we study, we look at, we learn, and we glean from. And often, certainly from my point of view, I'm constantly learning the wonderful truths that are found in this book. The wonderful things that we look at often As we look at those seven churches, we look at the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ, we look at the millennial reign, we look at the regathering of Israel, we look at the beast and the antichrist and all these great truths that are there, the seals and the trumpets. We look at hell and we look at heaven and we look at the beast and we look at the mystery Babylon, the great, and and we finish off in Revelation chapter 22. Friends, the whole book... It's about the Lamb above everything else. If anyone asks you what's Revelation about, because I've often heard people say, Revelation, I just don't know what it's about. Well, I'll tell you what it's all about. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, what does it say Revelation is about? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. 
It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, and in particular, that he is the Lamb of God. Now, in Revelation chapter 5, I want you to turn there this morning, and verse 11, Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, and the theme this morning really is the Lamb. Jesus Christ, he is the Lamb of God. Revelation 5 and verse 11 says, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders Think about it this morning, and the number of them was 10,000 times, 10,000, that's 100 million. And then it says, and thousands, and thousands. This is heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be, friends. Saint this morning who saved and washed in the blood One day we'll walk the streets of gold. One day we'll enter into this revelation of what John is describing to us. One day we'll witness and see this innumerable company of angels that are gathered round the throne of Almighty God. One day we'll walk those paths. One day we will see Him, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. One day it will be faced to face with Christ, my Savior. One day we'll hear the whole choir of heaven and the host of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels and the cloud of witnesses and all rejoicing and crying, Worthy is the Lamb of God. I wonder, friends, what you'll do that day. I wonder what it will be for you. I wonder how you'll respond that when we enter into the courts of heaven and into the glory of the Lamb and into the fullness of all that He's done and there on the throne is Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And as we look across the company and the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of the angelic host, and as they worship the Lamb that's on the throne. I wonder, friends, what you'll do. I wonder, saint, what you'll do when you look around that throne as the elders have fallen upon their faces in the most intimate form of worship, prostrate before the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and they worship Him forever and forever and forever. What will you do, friend? What will you do, friends? I want to tell you that that this is what we'll do. We'll fall on our faces before him and we'll worship him and we'll lift our hands. Brothers and sisters, this morning, it's good to give thanks unto the Lord. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to praise the Lord. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to lift your voice and thank him for saving you. You don't have to wait to heaven to lift your hands before Almighty God and say, thank you, Jesus. That you saved me. Don't be bogged down in the tradition of men. And in the embarrassment even of our own flesh. But if we grasp it this morning. What he's done in our hearts. In due time he died for us. And he saved us. Sing the wondrous grace of Jesus. When we all get to heaven. What a day off what. Rejoicing it's going to be. Friends I believe all the denominational hiccups. Titles, names, and everything else, thank God, they're all going to fall off. I'm going to tell you we'll be rejoicing that day. I tell you, friends, we'll be rejoicing that day. It tells us here that there is 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousands of thousands around that throne. 1 Kings 22 and 19 says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left hand. The psalmist says the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels, and the Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. And all these great angelic hosts, it says in verse 12 in Revelation 5, they sing with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and onto the earth such as are in the sea and all them that are in them heard I say blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him 
That's Jesus that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and forever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and the twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and forever. What will you do when you get to heaven? What will you do, friend? Don't wait to get to heaven to rejoice. Don't wait to get to heaven to lift your hands. Don't wait to get to heaven to dance in the Spirit. Don't get wait to get to heaven to shout with a loud voice, Thank you, God, you saved me. And this innumerable company of angels, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1 and 12, they desire to look in to this wonderful, glorious mystery. The angels aren't redeemed with blood. They have witnessed these angels that are created by Jesus. He is the creator. He is the creator. They have been created by him. And before time, they witnessed as this revelation and this mystery of the great redemptive plan of God. They witnessed as the Son, the eternal Son, the Almighty God left the splendor of heaven they witnessed the fall of man. They witnessed the deception of Satan. They witnessed as man, God's creation, plummeted into the depths of depravity and sin. And they witnessed as God himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left the splendor of heaven and came into this world. And how the Holy Ghost used Mary as that vehicle to, to birth this Man, Jesus, the King of glory. What does it tell us? It tells us that in Luke, that as he was born, suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host. They praised God. Remember when he was born, the same angelic host began to praise God. And they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward all men. They witnessed. As God became man, they looked upon it in wonder. They were awestruck as he lived that life and as he headed and set his face as a flint towards Jerusalem. They seen the Prince of Glory, them, him whom they worshipped hang on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago on this earth. They witnessed the darkness as heaven turned away. And as he hung on the cross for all men, his creation, they witnessed as the Holy Ghost who birthed him into that vehicle called Mary, raised him up from the grave triumphant. They witnessed as he rose over all the powers of darkness. We were talking last week, Jesus didn't go into hell and wrestle with the devil. On the cross, he defeated the devil. And he rose triumphant. And he ascended into heaven. Psalm 24 tells us in that great ascension hymn, the same angelic host said, He is the Lord, almighty, strong in battle. He's the Lord of hosts. And for 2,000 years, they've stood around the throne and they've wondered and they've cried, Worthy, 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 worthy is the Lamb. And every time someone gets saved, they look on and wonder when the Creator moves into the heart and convicts a man of sin by the Holy Spirit. And that man or that woman or that boy or that girl responds in faith and repentance and says, have mercy upon me. Thank you for dying on that cross. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for saving me. And how the power of the Holy Spirit works and brings the miracle of the new birth into that life. And that life is changed. And the angels look over the balcony of heaven and wonder and say, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices over one sinner. Think about it, friends. And they cry, Worthy. Worthy, the sacrifice. He is the Lamb, and it's the ultimate sacrifice. Friends, this morning, let me ask you, when we all get to heaven, the hymn writer says, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Can I ask you this morning, are you rejoicing this morning? I know, are you rejoicing? 
I wonder, friends, when we get to heaven, you know, if we took a photograph of the congregation, and then this is what heaven's going to be for us. And then we take a photograph of heaven found here in Revelation chapter 5, and we see the angels who aren't redeemed. And we see them with their hands raised. And we see them rejoicing round the throne and the Lamb. And we see that all the dead religion and all the acts of outwardness of man. And we say, my God, may the shackles be broken this morning. May the religious rags and all our tradition be gone with this morning. And may we rejoice in this great salvation. Well, friends, we don't want to be too emotional. Well, friends, I want to tell you something. When you think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, surely our souls cry out this morning, praise God for saving me. Here we see the ultimate sacrifice. The writer of the Hebrews brings us this wonderful revelation by looking at the negative so we understand the fullness. And that may not sit well with us, but that's what he does. Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10, right through, he's bringing to us the flaw of that Old Testament. He brings us the flaws that what it could not do, he did. And that it was inferior, it was flawed, it was temporal, it was old, it was decaying. It cannot do it. And all the blood of, 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 of bulls and goats and and everything of what they've done and all that activity, nothing, nothing of that could do what he did. And so he focuses on those chapters you'll see constantly. He's reverting back to the old to bring forth the revelation of the new. So if you look at a few this morning in the negative, just for us to see Hebrews chapter 8, if you turn there and we'll work through some, just as a, a foundation as we move forward, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6. It tells us there, Hebrews 8 verse 6, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant, now he brings the negative, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. In other words, if it was, if it was absolutely flawless, then there was no need for Jesus to die on the cross. We would still today have the apparatus and the function of that Old Testament system, but it was flawed. And so we see then there should be no place found for this. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. If you go on down to verse 13, he says, In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. Hebrews 9, if you turn over to verse 6, it says, Now when these things were thus ordained, looking at the old, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, and not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. And this is key this morning because... In our opening reading on this, the Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. So that hold, the whole operation of that old, the full revelation of what this was and the mystery that God has bestowed upon us, the Holy Ghost had, had in, in that old, the way into the holiest was not yet made known. We are living in the fullness of the Holy Ghost revealing to us Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. Now we can enter by faith into the holiest of all. This is what the Holy Spirit... So we're praying that the Holy Spirit would be a witness of these things. It tells us there, which was a figure, verse 9... For the, for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices. Now these gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. What does that mean? They were going in, they were making their sacrifices, but they still had the knowledge of sin. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ 
on the inward makes a man completely clean. It takes away the remembrance of sin, first of all, which is important, in heaven. There is no account of my sin in heaven. There might be somewhere running around beaver that remembers what I used to be, but praise the Lord this morning, there's no remembrance of what I, what I used to be in heaven. The account's been settled long ago. And so the slate is clean this morning. Praise God. Thank God your slate's washed clean this morning. No record. No record. Hallelujah. There's no record this morning. And so they could, this Old Testament could not make us perfect. Verse 10, which stood only in meats and drinks, diverse washings, carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. This was the system imposed on them. It was a shadow. It was a type, but it was not the fullness. And it was put upon them until the great reformation. That's not 500 years ago. That's when Jesus was on the cross. Now verse, chapter 10, verse 1 tells us then, for the law was a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things. Now listen, can never Listen, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year can continually make the comers thereon too perfect. Can never do it. That's why Paul in Galatians chapter 5, when there was a debate in the early church about reinstituting into the church the necessity for salvation, circumcision, Paul stands up, says, stand fast in the liberty where Christ has made you free. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. If Jesus sets you free, you're free indeed. And so that's why Paul was so forthright and standing up for the liberty which Christ brings. So then it says, verse 2, 10 and verse 2, For then would they have not ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible. Would you say not possible? No. Say it again like you mean it. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Hebrews 10 and 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can, would you say the word never? Never, never take away sins. Now before we come to the superiority of the sacrifice of Christ, I want to tell you it was supreme. Now, this might be sort of, well, this is basic, we know this, but I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, even in this hour in which we're living, there are many extra-biblical teachings that are creeping into the church concerning sacrifice. I want to tell you it's very important because it diminishes and dilutes the supremacy of the sacrifice of Christ. What do I mean by that? It was once, it was for all, and it was final. So important. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. Just follow this through me from God's word because this is the Bible. This is the, what the Bible teaches. Hebrews 7, 27. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people. Remember the great, the high priest in the old had to offer a bull for himself and then he would offer for the people. But this is what it says about Jesus. For this he did, would you say the word once? For this he did once when he offered up himself. Hebrews 9 and verse 23, turn over. Hebrews 9 and 23, It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but he has entered into heaven itself. Now, as we looked last week, to appear in the presence of God for who? Us nor yet that he should offer himself often. He'd never do it again, friends. He'll never do it again. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, would you say the word once? 
Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it's appointed on the man once to die. But after this, the judgment. So Christ was, would you say the word once? Once. Once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Hebrews chapter 10. haven't finished yet. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. Hebrews 10 and 12. This is the supremacy of the sacrifice of Christ. Hebrews 10 and 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, what did he do? He sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Thank God this morning it was once and it was for all and it was forever. So important, friends, it was once. There is no other sacrifice. There is no other church ritual. There is no other ordinance. There is no other creed. There is nothing, nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross. I cling. It is once. It was final. It was forever. It was sufficient. It was superior. It was supreme. It's the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God. What did it do? What did it do? If you by faith have repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ. Friends, this morning, we are on victory ground. If you're not this morning, before you can leave this place, you can know the precious truths of the sacrifice of Christ in your own heart, not by something of a dead letter, but by the Holy Ghost and be living in your heart. Hebrews 8 and 10, not only was this an eternal work, but this work was an internal work. Everything of the old was, ex- was external. That's why Jesus had so much problems with the religious. Everything of what they were doing was on the external. But thank God this morning, the work that the Holy Ghost does is internal. It's a work in the heart. He gives us a new heart. Hebrews 8 and 10 tells us, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws into their mind, and what will he do? He'll write them in our hearts. So what happens? This is important. You know, it's lovely to hear Kim say this morning, a year ago yesterday, I got saved. A lot of people say, you know, in the early days, even after some months, you can say, you can feel, I don't know what really happened there, and doubt can come in. Has that ever happened to anyone? Just to encourage those that are, it can happen to anybody. But here's the key in it. It's the witness of the Holy Ghost. This is really important. The witness of the Holy Ghost. It's not putting your hand up in a meeting. Now, I'm not against people responding for their need of a Savior, right? I'm not against that. Saying, I need prayer or I need, I want to, that shows an interest in their heart. But that is not the witness of the Holy Ghost. That's important because now we have a lot of people said, I put my hand up in a meeting and I'm saved but there's no witness of the Holy Ghost in the heart. That's one of the most deceiving things and the most dangerous things, especially in our country. You need the witness of the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? Then you're convicted of sin, not just the Savior, but Christian this morning, if you failed or flawed this week, you'll feel bad about it. If you thought something you shouldn't have thought, what happens? You don't like that thought. What is that? That's the witness of the Holy Ghost. That's a sure sign you're saved. That's the Holy Spirit. Because then we know conviction comes. And the Lord, what does He do? He chastises us. And if the Lord chastises us, what is that a sign of? Sonship. He loves us. And so we have the witness of the Holy Spirit in these things. His laws are in our hearts and in our minds. So we do something that we shouldn't have done, or we think something that we shouldn't have thought, or we say something that we shouldn't have said, and you feel wicked about it. That's our language, isn't it? You just feel, what is that? What is, you never had that before. But now it's the witness of the Holy Ghost. It's a sure sign. That's the signs that we're looking for. How do you know that? You know that. I can't tell you you're saved, but the Holy Ghost can 
Because there's a witness in your heart that the Spirit of God has done an internal work in your heart and in your mind. And so he will lead us and he will guide us. And it's an internal work. Not only is it internal, but it is also individual. It is a personal salvation. Nobody can be saved because their mom and dad are saved. Nobody can be saved because their neighbor's saved. They're saved because they've had an individual encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. It must be individual. It tells us in Hebrews 8 and 11, And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. In other words, no matter who you are, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. You can know God this morning. Old or young, educated or not, poor or rich, whatever tongue you're from, whatever tribe we're from on this earth, you can know Jesus as your own and personal Savior. God wants to work in your heart and in mine. But importantly this morning, the blood of the Lamb would effectively and thoroughly cleanse from sin. It's known as the efficacy of the blood. That is the ability of the blood, the work of the blood. There's power, power, wonder, work, and power. And the blood of Jesus, not right? We don't sing enough about the blood. We sang about it this morning, thank God. But we can never sing enough about the blood. Never preach enough about the blood. Never pray enough about the blood. We need to preach, pray, and believe, and declare the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the standard of the church. It's our victory cry, the blood of Jesus. And here's the key. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 20 says, This is the blood of the New Testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Song says, some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire. But friends, we're all through the blood. It's all through the blood. No other way. No other way, no other means, nothing but through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question in the words of a song we sing sometimes. Do you know what the blood's done for you? Do you know what the blood has done for you? Do you know? Let's look at it if we could this morning. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. We're going to look at some things that the blood has done for us so we grasp this. Now the reason... A couple of weeks ago that I started on the heart was because this is written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And in so many cases, people are struggling in their lives and their walk because of a past sin repeating over and over, going through their mind, the whole aspect of looking at self. And that is why I would have some concerns about many of the ministries today. Get people to look inward. I want us to look upward. We want to see the Lamb. And we want to see what the blood has done for me and for you. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness according to the riches of His grace. Now there's two words in there which the blood has done, the efficacy of that blood. Number one, We've been redeemed. Are you redeemed this morning? What does it mean? What does it mean to be redeemed? It simply means a ransom has been paid for you. Someone's paid the ransom. His name's Jesus. And the ransom has been paid in full. So you're redeemed through the blood. Number two, we have the forgiveness of sins. In other words, that word simply means that you're pardoned and you're free to go. It's good to be free to go, isn't it? It's good to be free this morning. It's good to be ransomed. It's good to be forgiven. That's all through the power of the blood. Now listen, we're going to go through this. This might be, oh well, we all know this. This is elementary. This is basics this morning. I want to tell you, if we don't get this right, if we don't grasp these simple truths in our lives, we'll be forever being blown around in doubt and fear. 
It's all in the blood of Jesus Christ this morning. It's all in the sacrifice of the Lamb. It's all through the blood this morning that we'll have our victory. It's nothing of ourselves. It's nothing of religious activity. But friends, this morning, it's all in that blood. So we have redemption and we have forgiveness. 1 John 1 and 7 tells us this. 1 John 1 and 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. In other words, that word cleanse means that you're completely pure in the sight of a holy God. Think about it this morning. The ransom's been paid. You've received the forgiveness of sin. You're free to go. And you're pure by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if though you've never sinned in the sight of God. You're forgiven, you're redeemed, and you're cleansed. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. Romans 3 and 24 being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Now what that word means this morning, He is the atoning victim. When you entered into the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant was before you, and the Ark of the Covenant was the, was the law of God, that law tells us, shows us, it's our schoolmaster that we're sinners, but right on top of that Ark of the Covenant, this is where we get this word propitiate. There is a covering that is absolutely perfect and that is called the mercy seat. And there's mercy this morning. That's what He is. He's our mercy. There's mercy for us through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To, de to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier, that means to be made innocent of him that believeth in Jesus. Now listen, through the blood this morning, we'll just go through these again. You're redeemed. Are you redeemed this morning? We say amen if you're redeemed. You're still alive, amen. When we all get to heaven, we can't get there quick enough. We're redeemed this morning. We're forgiven this morning. We're cleansed this morning. He's our propitiation this morning. And He's our justifier this morning. We're justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now let's turn to Hebrews 3, 13, sorry, in verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also, Hebrews 13 and 12, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, He suffered Without the gate, through the blood of Jesus Christ this morning, we're sanctified, we're washed, we're made clean, we're made holy through the sanctifying work of the blood of Jesus Christ. Lastly this morning, and this is crucial for us to live a life, to overcome, we overcome by what? They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him, Revelation 12 and 11, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. The reason why we're looking at this this morning is in Leviticus 17 verse 11, it tells us there, and this is important, for the life of the flesh, where is it? It's in the blood. So the life of the body, the life of the church, where is that life? It's in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the blood is crucial. We need to preach that blood and sing about it but friends, we're in a dangerous form of Christianity today. And why do I say that? Because doctrinally or fundamentally, we may have a piece of paper that says, here's our beliefs and what we believe. But not so much that doctrinally people are changing the fundamentals, but culturally we are slipping away from the fundamentals of the truth. What do I mean by that? Do you know what we are, we're here to preach? We're, to, we're here to preach Christ crucified. Do you know what the centrality of everything of what we are? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know what it is? It's the blood of the Lamb. Do you know what it's about? It's all about Jesus. And what has happened culturally in the church 
is that there has been a deception that has come in that they might believe that in a book written somewhere underneath the piano stool at the back of the church. But what we want to talk about today is a philosophy of how you're going to feel good about yourself, how you're going to live your life in positive thinking, and how you're going to be strong. And God wants you to be rich, and you'll never have any problems, you'll never have any trials, and everything's going to work out in the end. And he's got a, the most beautiful husband or wife for you, and he's got a Mercedes for you. And if you have a Mercedes, that's okay, I'm not against that. And he has a beautiful house, and the grass is always perfect, and there's no bald patches on your grass and your house is always clean and everything's going to be wonderful and then we'll sing some non-spiritual song to make you feel good about it and I might be exaggerating but I don't think I am and so you only have to click on the YouTube and watch a lot of this stuff and go it's the preaching of the cross it's the power that's in the blood but that's old stuff I want to tell you friends it's right up to date And the sad thing, it's true. It's true. We flock to these areas or see these things and we go in and not once do they mention the blood. Not once do they mention the cross. Not once do they they mention the lamb. Not once do they they mention that Christ is everything and he's all that you need. But they give everyone a whole list of extras and everything might look good and sound good and there might be thousands there. But friends, we have seen a deception come that culturally it's shifted. But fundamentally, we still believe in the blood, brother. We still believe in the book, but it's not preached. And it must be preached. That doesn't mean just behind a pulpit. We must believe. We must minister the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood that cleanses a man from all sin. You know, there's a man... He's called the black man. Anybody know where he is? The black man. Right down there outside Enston, Belfast. The black. Give us men like the black man. Give us men, a Presbyterian man that stood up in the controversy back in the 1820s. So here he goes. He's going away back. Let me tell you something. These men give us our heritage. Henry, Henry Cook stood, the black man, Henry Cook, the Reverend Henry Cook, who was minister of Main Street Presbyterian Church, the great controversy that took place in the 1820s all across Ireland when there was a breakaway and the, and the Unitarians were born, the non-subscribing Presbyterians. I know we've got every type of denomination in the North. We've got the Free Presbyterian, the Evangel. The EPs, the Evangelical Presbyterians, we've got the Reformed Presbyterians, we've got the Presbyterians, and we've got the non-subscribing Presbyterians. Oh, they're all the same. No, they're not. Oh, no, they're not. We will all get together and we'll join the Irish Council of Churches, which, sadly, the Presbyterian Church and Methodist Church, the Salvation Army and a Pentecostal Church all joined together. And yet, friends, the tragedy of it is that this man, Henry Cook, every time that they went to preach in any place, Kelly Lay, all around this countryside, right down into the south of Ireland, he made it his business. Why? Because they did not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They did not believe that his blood is the atoning sacrifice. They did not believe that he's God's son. And they still don't believe it, yet they're a flourishing church. They're lovely people. They are lovely people that need saved. Tommy Taylor always says, when you talk to him, 88 years old, he says, I still can't believe that God got me out of that dark, non-subscribing church, but he did. A bloodless gospel. And everywhere they went to preach their heresy, you know what Henry Cook did? He turned up and he preached against them. That's not very Christian. I tell you, earnestly contend for the faith that once was delivered to the saints. Give his men, young men, that'll stand for truth. They'll stand up for the sake of the gospel. He practically closed the churches, those non-subscribing ones that were being birthed in the south of Ireland. I believe there's only two, one in Dublin and one in Cork. There's a few more in the north. Brothers and sisters, it's because fundamentally and doctrinally, once they shifted, men had to stand up and pay a price and believe in the cross, not in an arrogant way, not in a but that we believe in the power of the cross and the, and the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient. We don't need anything else. 
We have a better hope. Hebrews 7 and 19 tells us we have a better testament. 7 and 22 tells us we have a better covenant. 8 and 6 tells us and it's built on better promises. What a hope we have. What a gospel we have. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's our mediator. He's our advocate. He's our great high priest. Glory to God is our soon and coming king. The lamb's coming. And so is his wrath. The wrath of the lamb. The wrath of the lamb. What a day that will be when he comes. What a day it's going to be. Brothers and sisters, what a day it's going to be. The wrath of the lamb. Are we living for Christ? Are we living for Jesus? Have we the witness of the Holy Ghost? Have we truly the witness of the Holy Ghost in our hearts? Friends, this morning, if you don't pray and pray until the Holy Ghost comes in and gives you the witness, then I'm born again. We have a better hope, a better testament, a better covenant, with better promises. But why in the deception of the hour in which we're living would we abandon the cross, the blood, the gospel, the lamb, for the sake of what? That we feel good? I tell you, friends, there's nothing makes me feel better to know my sins are forgiven. Nothing makes me feel better to know my name's written in heaven. Nothing makes me feel more better and to know one day, face to face, I want to see him. I'll join the innumerable company of angels and the great cloud of witnesses, and we'll all cry, worthy is the Lamb. Is that everyone in this room? Is that you? I tell you what we need, we need a few Henry Cooks. We really do. We need a few Henry Cooks. We need a few men that are going to believe that the cross is enough, that it was once and for all, that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient, that we're redeemed by no other means, that we're forgiven by no other means, that we're cleansed by no other means, and faith in his blood alone. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. This is really crucial. The Holy Ghost is a witness to us. You see, a preacher can preach, but it's only the Holy Ghost that brings the witness. Nothing else. Wherefore the Holy Ghost is a witness. This is the covenant that I will make with those. After those days, I'll put my law in their hearts and in their minds. Listen, their sins, their iniquities, I'll remember no more. Would you say no more? Your sins, no more. Think about it. Isn't it wonderful to be saved? Isn't it wonderful to know it? Listen, if my sins were put on the screen during announcement time, the sins of Tim McElrath, let me tell you something, friends. I dropped to this floor with shame and embarrassment. Can I tell you, if your sins were put there too, you'd do the same. But let me tell you something. They're remembered no more. They're all under the blood of Jesus Christ. Having therefore, verse 19 says, Brethren, boldness. This is what also the sacrifice grants unto us. Listen, it grants unto us boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. The way is now open by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, we can draw near, we can come, we can approach with boldness. Friends, in Revelation, right at the end, chapter 22, this is what it says, Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and off the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life which bare twelve 
twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face. They shall see his face. We're going to see him. Listen, we're going to see him. We're going to see him, friend. We're, this, what we're reading, we're going to see when in the natural, these natural eyes will be changed and we will be changed and suddenly we're going to see him, the lamb on the throne. It's amazing, isn't it? And you know, friends, it's probably sooner than what you think. Whether he comes or calls, but I believe he's coming. We're going to see him face to face with Christ, my Savior. Loved ones who have died in Christ and gone before us, what a reunion. That's going to be something else. All the great prophets and all the great apostles and all the great men of history who have loved the Lord Jesus Christ and served them, they're all going to be there. It's going to be great to meet them. It's going to be great to see them, the Pauls and the Timothys and right through all of history, the, all the great men that have stood over the church history, stood, stood strong and stood tall for the sake of, we're going to, but friends, most of all, <clears throat> we're going to see him. Above all, it's about him, the lamb. Will you see him as savior? Will you see him as savior? Or will you see him as judge? It'll either be saviour or judge. Thank God this morning I'm going to see him as my saviour. The lamb has overcome. And then that wonderful sight. Thousands upon thousands. 10,000 times 10,000. I think that's 100 million. And then it says thousands and thousands. All crying, worthy is the Lamb. See, as we close this morning, I wonder the Holy Spirit being the witness to these things. I wonder this morning, you know, it'd be wonderful just to rededicate our lives to Him. It'd be wonderful this morning just to thank Him. It'd be wonderful this morning just to lift our hearts and our hands and our voices and worship the Lamb this morning. Because, friends, that's what we're going to be doing for eternity. We don't have to wait to heaven. We can do it this morning. And friends, this blood, this precious blood, let me tell you, saint, struggling, weary and tired, saint of God, battling, overcome by accusations, doubts and fears. Listen, don't look to yourself. Look up, lift up, and look to him this morning. The Lamb has done it all. And by faith lay hold of the better promises on a better sacrifice with a better covenant that gives us hope. It's Jesus Christ this morning. Let's stand together. We're going to worship the Lord. Amen. David, if you come and Jillian, Johnny, amen. Praise the Lord this morning. We're going to worship this Lamb. He is worthy this morning. Do you know what the blood has done for you? Well, let's worship him this morning. You believe that today. Let's worship him this morning for the blood of Jesus, for the lamb that was slain. Let's give him the glory this morning. Jesus' name.